invite you to take your Bible and to turn with me tonight to 1 Timothy, and 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 7. Just doing a, a brief series with you all, uh, reflecting on prayer together. Last time we looked at the Lord's Prayer together, and tonight we will hear from uh, ins- instruction in prayer from the Apostle Paul. So listen, 1 first, first Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 7. This is God's word. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed, a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith, and in truth. When we approach Scripture to, uh, to learn how to pray, Scripture uh, shapes the kinds of things which we desire, and perhaps we found that especially in the Lord's Prayer last time, that God's Word shapes uh, the, the things that we bring to God in prayer and how we bring them in prayer. Uh, And so last time we found we were especially shaped by the realities and and the hope of Christ's kingdom. And then scripture also gives us particular attitudes and postures in prayer, and in that way moves us toward prayer. And I think uh, coming to this passage tonight, I think it exposes how we are regularly tempted by a kind of scarcity mindset in prayer. We act as if the goods of Christ's kingdom are hard to come by, as if the Father is not eager to give his good gifts. I remember going to a local convenience store. I won't tell you which one. Uh, But as I was waiting to order, I caught a glimpse out of the corner of my eye of movement by the front counter. And looking over, uh, I, I saw slinking around the side of the checkout counter a very healthy Uh, robust, and very much at home mouse. And as it came around, as it slinked around the counter, it began to scoot backwards along the front of the whole counter and dragging uh, dragging its prize, a a fresh-looking fried filet of chicken. Here was a scavenger in a place 
I like to think that it did not belong. Uh, here was a scavenger, but who had managed uh, to get a hold of something wonderful and rare. And I think in prayer, we sometimes have the mindset of scavengers. That is, the, the goods of the kingdom are, are scarce. But with a little ingenuity, uh, we may come across some crumbs. Or with some luck, maybe even a chicken filet. But here's a passage uh, that I think powerfully rearranges our attitudes in prayer and our posture before God. Why? It, it presents this, this wide and ambitious life of prayer. And then it roots that life of prayer in the deep, deep sufficiency of Christ and his work. So we're dropping into this letter of Paul to Timothy, and it's helpful just to kind of recognize where we are in this letter to catch the significance of Paul's words. Paul writes this letter to Timothy, who he has mentored in the faith and uh, whom he has left to minister in Ephesus to, to order and care for that church. And the opening of Paul's letter, it previews all kinds of things that he will want to say to Timothy. But at the end of chapter 1, he turns a corner and he begins to give guidance to Timothy. He says, this charge... This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child. Instructing Timothy as pastor and shepherd. And it's in that context that we then encounter these opening words of chapter 2. First of all, first of all. This is really striking. If you are compiling a list, uh, here are pastor's responsibilities. Here are an elder's responsibilities. Uh, if you're thinking of a pastor, you might say preaching, teaching, leading worship, visitation, uh, leading the session. Where does prayer fall on your list? Is it before or after plunging the toilet when it gets clogged? Being facetious, of course, but these words First of all, I think they, they catch us and they reorganize our priorities. Paul is addressing Timothy as shepherd, as pastor and elder. But those words are not just for pastors. They really, they speak to who we are as the people of God. And this is like the portrait that we get in the book of Acts. Uh, one of the refrains in that book goes like this, and so the people devoted themselves to prayer. See, there's something about who the people of God, of God are and so uh, that shapes the character of ministry and that leads to this uh, first of all. And so Paul identifies this 
priority of prayer for us. He gives us this priority of prayer and then he instructs us in all the variety of prayers to be offered. Supplications, prayers, uh, intercessions, and thanksgiving. And here's what I, I love about this and what I think Paul so helpfully emphasizes for us. It's so easy for us to, to fall into a rut in prayer. It's so easy for prayer to become routine so that we pray the same kinds of prayers each time we come to God. But Paul emphasizes the variety of ways we come to God, the variety of ways that God invites us to uh, speak to and address him and uh, so that we have the privilege of, of bringing the whole texture of our lives before him. Those things that give you joy, that, that lead you to thanksgiving, those places and parts of your life uh, that are an ongoing and deep concern for you where, where you come before God with supplications or, or petitions, uh, requests that God would hear you. Or you look to others around you and see their circumstances, their responsibilities, and you bring them before God in intercession. And even here, Paul instructs us to pursue him in intercessions for those well beyond our sphere. But those with significant social or, or political or cultural influence. So there is, I'm wanting to say to us, there is this whole variety of spiritual postures and concerns that prayer invites us into. But all of it uh, brings us before God the King. God the, the great King. Uh, there is this variety. But not just in the kind of postures uh, that, that prayer employs, but also in who should be the object of our prayers. And here Paul gives us this, this sweeping vision for prayer. Uh, you, this, I, you start to see how all of this is, gets us beyond a scarcity mindset. He says, let prayers be made for all, for all people. And then he focuses the matter, mentioning specifically kings and those in high position. And what a careful line Paul walks here in, in teaching us who to pray for and why. It's helpful to recognize and remember that, that Paul gives this encouragement to Timothy uh, for the Ephesian church to pray for kings and those in high position. He, he's writing into a culture in which uh, the imperial cult, that is, the, the worship of the emperor was the fastest growing religion. People were, were taken with 
if, if we think people are taken with politics now, imagine this, that there was this worship of emperors, kings, surrounding, uh, in, in the surrounding culture in which Timothy lived and did ministry. In other words, Paul is dealing with a political institution that is not only uh, known for its power and cruelty and corruption, but which is literally worshipped. And still, Paul finds uh, a careful way between what we might imagine, what we might imagine as alternatives of a revolutionary rejection or a kind of capitulation and support. And his alternative is this. Pray. Pray. We might well be reminded of Jeremiah's instruction to Judah in exile. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And Paul speaks similarly of, of the goals of, of these prayers to be offered. He says, these are so that you might lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. I don't imagine it's too difficult for us to draw lessons here, probably to be chastened in some ways by Paul's words. If we think about our, the place where we live, the dominant dynamics of our political climate often are resentment, fear. We are drawn toward political stories according to which the other side However construed, the other side is a threat to everything good and true. And without parsing that farther, just notice how different Paul's vision is from the way so many live. Even within his culture, highly antagonistic to the gospel, Paul's goal is this that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified. See, Paul uh, helps us imagine then another way of, of relating to our own culture. And then I think he helps us in a second way. We share with Paul a context of pluralism. And a reflex of our culture has been to, to seek to adjudicate that the tensions of that pluralism through politics. And so political solutions are, are offered for more and more spheres of life. And more and more of life is politicized. But Paul, without denying the significance of, of politics... Remember, he's, he's emphasizing the importance of, of prayer for kings and those in high position. Paul reminds us that's not where the real action is. That's not where we are to set our hopes. And the purpose of praying for those in high position 
as he gives it to us, the purpose is a kingdom-driven purpose. It has to do with Christ and his kingdom so that believers would live this kind of life. It's so that the church would have a missionary encounter with its culture. So that Paul says, this is what pleases God who desires all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. We're given this, this amazingly large and, and, and wide uh, area of God's concern. Pray for all people. God desires all people to come to a knowledge of the truth in Jesus. And so the variety of these prayers and the wideness of these prayers impresses us, draws us out of our scarcity mindset with respect to prayer. And then Paul gives us the reason we ought to pray in this way, and he roots and grounds uh, these prayers in the desires, the desire of God and in the deep sufficiency of Christ. Our scarcity mindset runs deep, and so does another uh, kind of attitude that we bring to prayer. This a desire to get and achieve things for ourselves. A desire to be self-sufficient. Cindy and I have been had a striking illustration of this week of how far. Uh, persons will go to, to try to get things for themselves. Uh, you can imagine as part of the moving process, we've been purging many things that we no longer want or need. And Cindy has posted a number of things on Facebook Marketplace, which some of you know means we instantly became the target of many, many internet scams. Uh, and folks looking for ways to obtain personal information uh, from us through that transaction process. But the one that, that got us was someone who responded to our posting of a free couch. A free couch. To which someone responded with the common scam technique I'd like that couch. Can you share your Venmo info? No. It's free. And we chuckled to ourselves and imagining a follow-up message from this person. Well, then, can I just have your social security number? But I found this, this wonderful. We are trying to give away a couch. And this person is so preoccupied with their scheme to get for themselves, they can't even notice what is being offered. But are we so different in prayer? Paul draws us to see the amazing gifts that are in Christ. He draws us to see the all-sufficiency of Christ can we set aside our personal pursuits to embrace the gift given? 
Throughout this passage, Paul emphasizes the, the, desires, the desires of God, full of grace. And so, we already mentioned it, God desires all people to come to the knowledge of the truth. One theologian, uh, Fred Zaspel, he puts it this way. He says, we sometimes imagine it beneath God's majesty to, to offer uh, to offer himself to those whom he knows will reject him. And yet, this is the very thing that he does and does repeatedly. He, God commands and implores. He pleads and stands longingly with outstretched arms. Uh, all, all of this is how Scripture describes God's posture to the world. God's desires for the world. And so as uh, Zaspel dis- describes this, the, God's compassionate stance, which, which we have seen above all in, in his self-revelation in Jesus. And he says this, we do not adore God rightly unless we recognize his great heart of love. And we do not proclaim the gospel rightly until we reflect this stance ourselves. The Father desires all to come to Christ. Also, we find the same desire revealed in Christ. Paul says, Christ gave himself. Gave himself. In other words, Christ was willingly desirous to come in in the humble and and sacrificial way that he did as as a ransom for the sins of the world. He was was desirous to do this. Christ gave himself willingly and, and for this purpose. There are, of course, theological questions here. How to how to relate uh, this desire of God to his purposes in election. But what is important to see uh, is, is to let this, uh, this desire, this loving kindness of God toward all, to let it stand and have its effect in us. God, in his loving kindness, would have all hear and respond to the gospel. God's desires undergird these prayers. Also, God's wide desires have their match in the sufficiency of Christ. Paul gives us this powerful confession of faith, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man. Paul is is justifying how we ought to pray who we ought to pray for. And in doing so, he, he draws us back actually to the ancient words of the Shema. Uh, he, he echoes that powerful confession of faith. Hear, Israel, the Lord is one. And so Paul also says, there is one God. But now Paul wants us to see as well how those, that confession of faith has been deepened, made more rich by the revelation of Jesus. And so, 
in verse 5, this uh, confession of faith, uh, he, he expands on, on that ancient confession. One God, and now he adds, one mediator. One man. One mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And think of the, the power of that, of, of what he's saying about Jesus, in view of all that has come before and all that has anticipated the coming of Christ. Before Christ, God's people offered sacrifice after sacrifice. You know, uncountable multitudes, bulls and sheep and goat, sheep and goats, all symbolizing the need for a sin offering, all symbolizing God's purpose to forgive, all symbolizing that the final offering was yet to come. Thousands of offerings and now one sufficient to save. And then this difference too, Israel offered bulls, goats, lambs, but now Christ offers himself in our human nature. The, the Son of God, in order to be the perfect mediator that you need, the mediator between God and man, became man. And he offered up the, the infinite value and worth and glory that, uh, of his divine person uh, and, and nature. He offered that up as a human sacrifice to satisfy divine justice. So as one theologian puts it, in him is glory enough to ransom and save a thousand worlds. He is all sufficient. You are invited to to pray for all. And in doing so, your prayers are rooted in God's gracious desires. And they are rooted in the infinite sufficiency of Christ's atoning work. I began saying that Paul here instructs Timothy, an elder and a, and a minister in the church, but in doing so, he addresses who uh, or, or what the church is so that we are all drawn into this. And it's the same with the way that Paul concludes the passage. He says, for this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. Paul says, this, the work of proclaiming the, and teaching the gospel is the very work I've been given to do as an apostle. Do you see? That apostolic foundation is the, the very work uh, which, which, on which the church continues to build. It's the very calling that animates you as the people of God. So Paul reaches each of us with this, first of all. First of all, let prayers be made. And you are drawn into prayers as wide and as large as the place in which Christ rules.
And you have every reason to pray with confidence and, and with hope and to have the whole mode of your life shaped by these prayers because you have a rock-solid confession. One God, one mediator between God and man. Let's pray. Almighty God, we are humbled uh, each time we think of your wondrous love to us in the gospel of your Son. We're humbled at your, uh, your love that pursues uh, lost and hardened and resistant sinners and your love that has, uh, through, through which uh, Christ even went to the cross and suffered and died for us, for our salvation. We're humbled at this, the revelation of your love and reminded of your deep desire that all would come to know Christ our Savior. Lord, we pray that through the work of your Spirit and the power of your Word that that same desire would move and animate us and then as that sinks into our hearts and our souls and shapes the way we live, Lord, we pray that you would make us a people of humble prayer. Trusting that the coming of this kingdom, of your kingdom uh, and uh, the power of your gospel um, is ultimately the work of your spirit. We are delighted, Lord, that you have caught us up and drawn us into this. And so, Lord, we ask for uh, your ongoing, shaping, renewing influence in us. Be glorified, our great God, and lift up and exalt Christ, our perfect mediator. We pray in his name and we say together, amen.